The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Each business is unique and operated individually of others in the same industry. What they have in common is the potential path to success. Welcome to The Second Stage with your hosts, Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. In today's program, we'll address the obstacles that many businesses find on that path to success and discuss what entrepreneurs and their businesses are doing to stay ahead of the curve. Now, here's Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. Hello, everybody. This is Jeff Cadlick here in The Second Stage. My uh, partner, Brendan Anderson, is on assignment uh, we had another wonderful afternoon of sitting down meeting with entrepreneurs. Um, you know, this is the most rewarding part of our job where we get to sit and not only learn about, um, you know, new business models, but we also get to learn um, about the story and what it takes to be successful as a small business entrepreneur. Uh, this particular company uh, is um, – primarily located out of the uh, Maryland area, and it's in the healthcare technology space. It's been around since 2002, and uh, all the changes that are going on in the healthcare space has uh, been very advantageous for this company, in particular its prospects for, for future growth. And I think the reaffirmation of the Affordable Care Act that uh, was uh, had just gone through the Supreme Court for the second time, I think, has made people in the United States realize that uh, we, the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare, is probably here to stay in its current form and that people need to take it seriously and, and, and prepare for the future. So therein lies the opportunity uh, in part for, for this company. It's just exciting to to spend time and, and be a part of their, their story and their passion and so on and so forth. And if you'll note, the last uh, few guests that we've had on our show uh, have all been you know entrepreneurs that are telling their story and are all uh, giving back in their own way to uh, the entrepreneurial community. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we had a, a fella on the phone or on the radio show, excuse me, uh, named Dave Moore. He's a former pilot, um, has had uh, multiple accidents, actually, and learned from those mistakes. Importantly, maybe the only person in the United States has been a couple accidents and survived uh, uh, to tell about it. But uh, he really talked a lot about disruptive leadership uh, last week. Uh, we had Shirag Kulkarni, a uh, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of Insightfully, uh, and he was really talking about creating a culture to attract and retain talent. And both Dave and uh, Shirag were talking through experience uh, because they had success, uh, they had failure, and through both, 
you know, they they were able to learn their trade and their craft even better and uh, do it better the, the third and the fourth time. And I think that uh, we've got another very exciting uh, uh, guest on our show today. Um, his name is Clint Greenleaf. Uh, he can be found on Twitter at Clint Greenleaf, all one word, uh, and also on Greenleaf. ClintGreenleaf.com. Uh, uh, you, you know, our episode is really about how financially capable are your employees, and Clint is going to walk us through, you know, why he thinks that is is really important. I think that he has um, has offered some very good. Um, analogies and some um, important points as to why this makes a lot of sense. And uh, Clint, he himself is also an entrepreneur like our other guests have been. Uh, He's the CEO of Moonshot Brands, which is the parent company of Home Plate Peanut Butter. Uh, You can be found at www.homeplate.com pb.com based in austin texas uh clint also manages a children's book franchise that teaches kids about money called pigs and bricks that's pigsandbricks.com uh a clothing baby clothing line called bambino balls bambinoballs.com and a nonprofit called tree neutral which can be found at treeneutral.com. Uh, he founded Greenleaf Book Group in 1997, uh, which is greenleafbookgroup.com, all one word, uh, above his parents' garage. Uh, and uh, it became an Inc. 500 company uh, and is uh, a leading provider, or leading publisher and book distributor. Clint sold the company in 2011 and recently left his active role in Greenleaf Book Group. Uh, Clint is a CPA and sits on the University of Texas Libraries Board, blogs for American Express Open or Amex Open, and is a regular guest host on Fox Business Network. Uh, he has been featured on the Wall Street Journal, Inc. Magazine, Fox, CNBC, CNN, MSNBC, Money, Forbes, and Entrepreneur, among others. Clint sits on corporate boards, is an NACD governance fellow, and speaks about innovation, entrepreneurship, personal finance across the country and internationally at conferences, seminars, and schools. And in fact, uh, Clint actually just spoke at my son's uh, high school and did a wonderful job. And that was uh, one of the reasons we've gotten to know Clint. He is also uh, mutual friends with uh, one of our multi-show uh, guests, uh, Bo Burlingham, author of a number of great books, but most recently, Finish Big. Um but uh, we look forward to having Clint on the phone. Uh, before I continue on, I want to make sure that I give uh, our, our information out so that you can track the show or participate, whatever you choose to do. You can track the show at hashtag the second stage. That's T-H-E-2-N-D stage, hashtag the sec- second stage. Uh, you can also uh, comment or question on our blog at evolutioncp.com. You can email us at the second stage at evolutioncp.com. Uh, we want to remind everybody that each week we want to provide actionable advice and have you continue the dialogue through comments and questions on our blog. Um, and uh, we just appreciate all the support. I also want to make sure that I give a, uh, a bit of a, uh, a shout out to our 
our sponsor, McGladry uh, LLP. They're a leading provider of assurance, tax, and consulting services uh, nationwide to uh, small and small and mid-sized businesses. They have 6,700 people in 75 U.S. cities. Um, I want to get back to, uh, you know, a big reason that Brendan and I do this show. And the reason that we do this show is because we, we learn a lot. And uh, each week we learn uh, not only from uh, the specialists, if you will, the practitioners that support the business that we invest in, um, whether they're accountants or lawyers, uh, insurance industry, whatever the uh, whatever the case may be, uh, but we also learn a lot about how each one of these uh, entrepreneurs has survived. You know, how have they pivoted during the most difficult times? Where have they found the strength? You know, really to move forward, and uh, what what. Um, pieces of advice would they share with budding uh, uh, entrepreneurs that are also going through their own challenges and, and struggles. Uh, for for Brendan and I, it's a very cathartic process. You know, for us, we've been an Inc. 500 business. We've had a lot of successes over our 10 years, but we've also had a lot of challenges. And that, that really continues. Uh, we are having a great deal of success uh, in 2015, but it doesn't go without a lot of uh, hard work, not only in the part of my partner, Brendan and I, but also uh, for the other folks here at Evolution who are very, very important you know, to, to our success. And if you are following Evolution at all, you'll know that uh, we're very active in social media. Uh, we have a, uh, a wonderful website. I call it a honeypot for entrepreneurs because we've got a resource center for entrepreneurs. And um, we try to share blogs and articles. And we call it really our education-based approach to connecting with entrepreneurs. We want to connect with them where uh, they might be looking for solutions. So if um, – you haven't been to our website yet, evolutioncp.com. We have a resource center, and on that resource center, you're going to find a lot of great things that you can download. You obviously can get into the back library of uh, prior shows where we catalog the shows based on topic. Uh, you can see uh, webinars and videos that Brendan and I have uh, participated or created in the past um, and uh, different uh, presentations. And as always, we're, 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 we're always talking about the five stages or the five pillars of business success. And um, that's why I think our guest today is, is kind of right up our alley because he, like we believe the importance of great financial metrics and reporting as you establish and grow your organization. Uh, I think Clint would very much agree with, with that and uh, anxious to hear what he has to say and anxious to hear him share his personal story about how he's had not only the, the passion uh, but the foresight to um, be involved in so many different uh, exciting projects. Uh, but with that, uh, we're going to take our first break here on the second stage. When we come back, we'll be with our guest, Clint, Clint, Clint excuse me, Clint Greenleaf. Uh, and again, you can find him on Twitter at Clint Greenleaf. Um, and also he has his own webpage, clintgreenleaf.com. Thank you for tuning in to the second stage. 
out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of, a team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance. Tax. Consulting. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to The Second Stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Welcome back to the show, The Second Stage. Like any forum, the show will be more effective and powerful. If folks contribute their experiences and ideas, we invite you to continue the discussion from each week's show on our blog, which can be found at evolutioncp.com. You can email us at the second stage at evolutioncp.com and follow the show uh, on Twitter, hashtag the2nd stage. That's hashtag the second stage. We are back here in the second segment of the second stage with our guest this week, Clint Greenleaf. He can be found on Twitter at Clint Greenleaf uh, and ClintGreenleaf.com. Welcome to the second stage, Clint. Thanks so much for having me. It is it is my pleasure uh, for for the guests? Obviously, uh, uh, they're listening to the show. Clint and I were just uh, commiserating about uh, Cleveland and Cleveland sports and uh, <laughs> all the challenges associated with that. Um, Clint, uh, can you share with the folks what it was like to grow up in in Cleveland and be a Cleveland sports fan? Yeah, well, I'm not sure we have enough time. It's only an hour-long show. Um, but uh, let's just say that I know heartache at a pretty high level uh, growing up in the uh, 80s and, and uh, spending a lot of time with Bernie Kosar um, and uh, Craig Elo and, and uh, just the whole, the whole gamut there. Actually, the Indians weren't that good in the 80s, which is nice. They got better in the 90s, but certainly spent a whole lot of time uh, sad about my teams. Well, I thought you might uh, talk about how that prepares you and toughens you up for entrepreneurship, because because you've got you've got a real (laughs) you've got a real good entrepreneurial resume, and I wanted to see if there was any way that that had an impact on uh, your future success. 
Well, I, I think actually it's funny, the, the, the knowledge of rejection. Um, luckily, I'm not a very good-looking guy, um, and I had the privilege of being rejected often by girls when I asked them out on dates. Um, and uh, that gave me a whole lot of good skills as well. But I, you know, the problem is that when you give a speech on, on the successes of business or you talk about it as if you're somehow this great expert at it, you don't have enough time to address the many failures that happen. And it's really you know, a 100 to 1 ratio of failures to successes. Um, but the same way that, uh, as we were joking during the break, you know, at least we have the Buckeyes now, right? So every Clevelander can root happily for Ohio State and pretend like that was the only team we ever rooted for. Um, <laughs> you can kind of forget everything else along the way. You pick your one success, and I'm more than willing to claim all the successes on my resume, just not the tens of thousands of failures that don't show up on there. Well, I subscribe to the Jim Collins uh, statement that the opposite of success is in failure, it's growth. So I'm growing constantly here in uh, entrepreneurship, and I learn a great deal from successful entrepreneurs like you. And maybe kind of walk us through really kind of how you got the idea that you wanted to be an entrepreneur and kind of strike out on your own and, 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 and start Greenleaf Book Group. Sure. Um, well, let's start with the realization that I'm constitutionally unemployable. Um, and uh, <laughs> there have been some great folks in Cleveland who hired me over the years, be it house painters um, or uh, my first job and a real job working for someone else, which was public accounting. Um, but to kind of go into that story, so I was uh, in Marine ROTC in college, training to be a Marine officer, uh, ripped out my shoulder my junior year and could no longer be a Marine. This was the mid-90s, and um, as we all knew back then, uh, 96, there was never going to be another war again. Clearly, with the Soviet Union gone, you know, we were going to have peaceful times, so sure. Marines told me I should just go be a civilian. There's nothing else I could do anyway. My shoulder wouldn't function properly, so don't worry about it. You're, you're good to go. <laughs> and uh, I was majoring in accounting, so I figured I'd go ahead and apply to the big six firms. And my friends, who were all a lot smarter than I was, told me, you know, if we have 4.0s, we applied to the big six and we got one offer. You're not very bright. You're going to possibly get no offers because, you know, you've got a three Oh and you don't really go to class. Um, so, you know, and by, Oh, by the way, I was running about four small businesses at the time between, uh, buying and selling things that most of which were legal, um, in college and, uh, <laughs> a small day trading operation. Um, I didn't really have a whole lot of time for my studies. So I applied to the big six and although my friends only got one offer, I was able to pull off six. And it was all because of the tips and tricks the Marines taught me. Tie my tie, shine my shoes, do everything appropriately. And this is the heart of grunge culture. So instead of wearing a flannel T-shirt, I'm wearing a, uh, a solid you know, suit and, and looking the part. Um, and the accounting firms thought they could present me to their clients. So they were willing to take a chance on me. And with six offers, my friends all laughed and said, boy, you think there's really something to that? You should write a book. Um, and so what started as kind of a, a random offhand joke bet uh, got me to write a really bad 28-page booklet on how to tie your tie and how to shine your shoes, everything the Marines taught me. Uh, it was called Attention to Detail. And uh, I wrote that little booklet for my friends and called it a day. Uh, and after uh, seven really long, hard months at Deloitte, um, I decided to retire and turn that little book into a publishing business. Interesting. Interesting. So what was so awful about, or what was so enlightening, I should say, about Deloitte that got you to see the light of entrepreneurship after only seven months? 
Let's call it a reminder, um, as opposed to the bad. I mean, Deloitte is a great firm, and I've still got a lot of good friends there, and I've, I've got no ill will, obviously. Um, but I would say that for me, it was that reminder of, oh boy, I'm not really good at following someone else's rules if they're not very smart in my mind. So I'm more than happy to follow a good rule, a smart rule that I can agree with. But if it's something that patently strikes me as absurd, for example, taking eight hours to audit cash of a company where it should take about 20 minutes when it all ties out, there's no reason to charge the client for that time, even if that's standard operating procedure. Um, and so I'd butt heads with people a lot smarter and a lot more accomplished than I. And I realized this is just fruitless for me to be fighting them when they're clearly going to win the battle. Um, I'd much rather spend my time when I can be effective and go out and create. Um, the other thing that probably tipped me off to that was that I worked on about six clients uh, when I was there, and five of the six offered me jobs, but none of them offered me jobs in accounting. Usually accountants get poached <laughs> by their uh, right. internal people right. that go be an accountant, right? Yeah, no, they were all in sales, and that kind of tipped me off that I might have missed my calling a little bit. So I got my CPA, yeah. and I was pleased to have that, but I uh, I left after seven really long, hard months of uh, of audit, which was probably about six months longer than I thought I'd last, frankly. <laughs> but you, it, it was an important pivot point in your life because you realized that, uh, like a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, you can do it better. And uh, that's what you went to do, is uh, you found your calling and you went to do something better. Well, sure. I, I thought I could do it better. And, it, and there were a lot of areas, if you take a look in, in a point-by-point -point basis in the areas I thought I knew what I was talking about versus what I actually knew what I was talking about. Um, it's very low correlation on that. Uh, but what happened was I figured I'd rather be the one who is going to go out and take the uh, banner of success or the, the shots of failure based on my choices as opposed to letting someone else drive the ship. Um, so I wanted to be the guy to go out and try and see if I could make it work and see if I could get people to buy from me, see if I could create value. Uh, and I love the idea of being judged by what I did as opposed to you know, how corporate I was able to play the game. That certainly wasn't my strong point. Yeah, so, uh, so you, now you have the entrepreneurial bug and you decide to get into publishing. And, it, and by the looks of it, uh, it was very, very successful in publishing. Well, it started off as me publishing my book on how to tie a tie. So it, it started off pretty knuckleheadedly. Um, but luckily, I was selling it through the mail. This is really pre-internet. Uh, the first day I had a sale, I had uh, till two copies for five bucks a piece. The next day, seven. The next day, 13. And by two weeks into it, I was pulling between 50 and dollars $5 checks a day out of the P.O. box. So I found a need, and that was really the, the first realization that I had, which was it, the product has to be passably good, but if you can solve someone's problem, you're really doing a good job. And, and my first thought was, oh, look at all these guys who are buying a book on how to dress. There must be a real need. And then it kind of hit me as I was entering all the data into the computer to print off the labels for these guys. None of them were guys. Every single one of my customers was named Gladys, Gertrude, Blanche, Edith, they were all grandma names. And then it hit me, like, these are not guys buying. There's no guy going to ask for directions on how to tie a tie. This is grandma saying, I love my grandson, but he's kind of a, a, a crazy kid when it comes to dressing. He needs some help on this. So it was oh, a wow. lesson in knowing my market, but also in finding out that there's a need. So if you can fill that need, um, the problem was that I wasn't the best person to do it. So I went out and sought other people who could do it better than I could. And I knew I could make more money if I had the best product available. Um, I didn't trust myself to be the one that could be the writer and the creator of that, but I was able to go out and get that.
I love those stories. I mean, just that kind of realization that, uh, I mean, it's fascinating that, that your audience was completely unexpected yet filled a need, uh, that, that you didn't, didn't realize in a completely different demographic. So, so you started hiring people at Greenleaf and, and really where did you take the company from there? Did you stay in that particular category of trying to self-help type books or did you uh, branch out into to other, other categories? Well, for a long time, we did everything except for poetry and porn. Those were the two that I wouldn't touch. And we just said, look, we'll, you know, if you have a content uh, that you want to share with others, we'll help you do it. Um, and I thought I was playing a lottery game. I thought I'd take as much content from as many different people. Uh, my authors were paying the upfront cost to produce the product, so I wasn't really out any money to have that. And then I would get a piece of the sales in the back end. So I figured, you know, if I've got 10 titles, that's great. But if I've got a million titles, all the better. And what I found out really quickly was that Barnes & Noble uh, didn't like that approach at all. Barnes & Noble came to me a couple of years into it and said, you're terrible. Everything you publish is garbage. They're not selling. This is not a lottery ticket. This is supposed to be a curated content type game. And you, sir, are not doing a good job of that. So never send us anything again. And seeing as I was a book publisher and Barnes & Noble was kind of a big player at the time, um, that was kind of a death blow for, for me. So we had to change from being a, an outfit that took just about everything to being overnight a company that was very selective and went from taking you know, 99% of what came in to taking about 5% of what came in. Um, and that was forced upon me by Barnes & Noble, probably the best single gift anyone ever gave me. It didn't look like it at the time. Uh, but by them forcing us to get really selective, we were able to spend more time on really good content. And uh, a lesson that would have served me well in dating, uh, if you create scarcity, there's more <laughs> of an interest in it. Um, so uh, I was married by the time. It didn't, didn't help me by that point. But uh, it was still a good lesson to learn that we were able to have authors try and compete to get in. And instead of being someone who would take everybody, we were very tight on it. We were much better at being able to pull uh, the best product out. So we were able to work with some big names like Kanye West, uh, John Gray, who wrote Men Are From Mars, Winner From Venus. We were Guns N' Roses book. Um, several big name folks, as well as tons of great business books. And that kind of became our niche. We probably did, uh, in my Haiti, there we were doing about 75% of our books were business books. And we hit about 30 New York Times bestsellers out of that batch uh, from those best books. And so when you get a New York Times bestseller, just curious, uh, uh, what, ha what, what does that mean to the publisher in terms of uh, the magnitude of, of dollars and so on and so forth? So interestingly enough, New York Times bestseller is a velocity over a one-week period measurement tool. Um, think of it as revenue is to an entrepreneur. Um, it sounds really cool, uh, but it's very, very useless as far as a real data point um, and, and something meaningful. Um, I found that it was great to have for my ego. It was great to have for the author's ego. In some cases, if they were professional speakers, they could make more money on the speaking circuit by having that. But generally, having a New York Times bestseller didn't really mean a whole lot of sales. Usually, it meant you could sell 10,000 units in one week through trackable sales. So if you sell them you know, back of the room at a speech, that doesn't count. But if you sell them through Amazon or through Barnes & Noble or a combination thereof, um, that would get you on the list. So um, it was great to have as far as credibility went. And we got to the point that we were getting pretty good at it. 
Um, but it was really the, the ones we, we loved the most were not the ones that sold 10,000 copies the first week and then 100 thereafter. We wanted the ones that sold 1,000 every week all year long. And those were the ones that would continue to grow. Got it. Uh, and it really Got helped it. us build our base. So did you you ultimately sold the business in 2011 if that and then uh, what what got you to that point was it just the right buyer were you burn out was it the right time uh, had the industry changed what got you to, to that yeah. point so there were a lot of different factors the, the number one factor for me was my wife and I were flying on a, a vacation out to Hawaii and um, I'd use some points to upgrade so I'm sitting in first class and I look around me and this is 2010 and everyone around me has a Kindle. And I knew full well, obviously, that the industry, that we made about four bucks a physical book and about a buck an e-book was our rough number on that. And for me to know that there were that many Kindles available, at least to the wealthy, that would eventually cause me consternation. So I looked in the back of the plane and coach, and most people had printed physical books. And I thought, the problem is this trend's going to continue. And I can't sell roughly four times as many units in an e-book format to be able to make up for the loss in margin that I'm going to be able to get on this. So I started thinking right. in 10 that I probably should start thinking about this. Um, and as a true entrepreneur, I can tell you there were, it, it wasn't as if I got tired on that day or I got tired. It, there, it was a, a steady EKG of excited, tired, excited, tired. Um, that's either a commentary on entrepreneurial theory or on my ADD and inability to remember that I was tired or not. Um, <laughs> But yeah, was, no, I think it's probably a combination of the two, to be honest with you. Uh, so so you sold that business and then you moved on into a, what seems to be a lot of other really exciting uh, different businesses. Is there any commonality between each one of these uh, uh, businesses? Well, Maybe it's kids related? Yeah, for sure. Definitely kids. Um, I spent uh, three years after I sold, still attached to the company to try and help the new owners transition. Um, but during that time, I was able to still work on some of the side businesses I had. And I had a baby clothing business called Bambino Balls, which was a chance to dress your kids like sports. Um, and then uh, Pigs and Bricks, which is a children's financial education company um, to teach kids about money. And I've got three little kids. So yeah, basically, my entrepreneurial ideas going back to the first lemonade stand I had because I liked lemonade um, and the newspaper route I had because I liked you know, to go out and, and walk and collect money um, and baseball card shows because I like to have baseball card shows all the way through these have been what I've been surrounded by. So I, I like to look at my surroundings and say, what am I doing right now that could be more efficient? Um, and uh, after I sold the business, I had just enough money to screw my kids up once, but not enough to fix them after I did. <laughs> so I got really scared about how do I teach them the right way about money and, and did a lot of study on that. And that's where the give, save, spend concept uh, was explained to me. And I, I turned that into a kid's book. Um, and then the next book in the series was teaching parents how to teach their kids about money, um, which is all stuff that I'm kind of faced with right now. Um, and my guess is there's probably a business that involves older kids as my kids grow up a little bit somewhere down the line for me. Well, we're certainly going to get into that here in the next segment. But so today, you're the CEO of Moonshot Brands, and is and that is the parent company of Home Plate Peanut Butter. That's right. Uh, and so Moonshot. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, so Moonshot was basically a, uh, a an idea that came about from two buddies of mine, both who played for the Indians organization, actually, um, on a totally unrelated level. Um, but they wanted to start a peanut butter company, and they came to me asking for some help, and they knew that I had some free time on my hands, and it was too cool of an opportunity to pass up. 
<laughs> That's good. Well, look, uh, the reason that we have you on this call, other than hearing about your your background, and we, I think I know that I do, and, and our audience loves hearing about the the, cred, the street cred of your your entrepreneurial stripes, if you will. I certainly think you've uh, you've addressed that. Uh, in the next segment, we're going to get in a little bit more about uh, you know how financially capable are your employees and 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 walking through your ideas around that, which I think is is uh, uh, going to be a lot of fun to listen to. So we're going to take a quick break here on the second stage. When we get back, we'll talk a little bit more uh, with our guest Clint Greenleaf about uh, how financially capable are your employees. Thanks for tuning in to the second stage. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of, a team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance. Tax. Consulting. Are you an entrepreneur that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind. With host Chris Cooper, you'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. These people are making a difference and will help give you the motivation and insight to achieve more. Be More, Achieve More can be heard live Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to The Second Stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Welcome back to the show, The Second Stage. This is Jeff Cadlick. My partner, Brendan Anderson, is off today. Uh, this is our show, but it is a forum, so we're looking for input from you so that we can benefit from everyone's experience. Uh, if you'd like to participate through our blog, it's evolutioncp.com. You can email us at thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. We're back with our guest, Clint Greenleaf. You can be found at, at Clint Greenleaf or on a website, clintgreenleaf.com. Uh, our episode is uh, how financially capable are your employees, and Clint is going to share the importance of teaching your employees how to manage their own personal finances and the impact to not only their own life, but that of the organization. So, Clint, I uh, really enjoyed hearing your story, uh, and you shared with me offline that uh, 
homeplatepb.com, which is home plate peanut butter, is in every uh, major league dugout. Uh, so that is that's an exciting side point, but I want to get to the topic of our, our show. Uh, so explain to me how you came to this point and why you feel so strongly about uh, educating employees about, uh, about finances. Yeah, so I grew up in a, a home in Cleveland where my dad was more than – he was a financial advisor, so he was more than comfortable talking about money and uh, addressing things that came up uh, either in the markets or just personal finance issues. And it was something that was very natural for me to, to discuss. Um, and I think that always helped me in, in my business side, but I didn't actually really tie it too well together until an employee one time came to my office. She was a brilliant woman, 4.0 major, uh, English major from University of Texas. She was coming to be an editor. And she asked me about the uh, new hire paperwork that we gave her. And she said, you know, I don't, what's this ABA number at the bottom you guys need? And I said, oh, yeah, it's your routing number in the bottom of your check. So just go to your check and pull it out. And she looked at me kind of pejoratively and laughed and said, checks. Yeah, I don't do checks. I'm, I'm 23 years old. And it was as if she was telling me, like, I don't have a telegraph machine in my office, you know. Um, and I said, well, you know, the, how do you pay your bills? And she looked at me, again, rather pejoratively and saying, I just put it all in my dad's Amex. And she, as she said that, this light bulb went off in her head. And she said, oh, I know. Can you just pay me on my dad's Amex? Oh, and I my looked gosh. At her and thought, oh, exactly. Yeah, I thought, oh, God, what have we done? Like, we, I, I'm a pretty big libertarian, but we as a society have failed you. This is something that we need to make sure we do a better job of teaching. Um, and so uh, I started doing brown bags for my staff and saying there has to be a way that me teaching you about money and making sure you know the basics is going to be better for me somehow. Just if nothing else, I'll feel better morally um, when I go to bed at night knowing that I've done something good for you people because this is not something that's been taught for whatever reason. Um, and rather than trying to decide what that was, I figured I would just try and teach them. So we started as raw gut basic and as simple as you possibly can, like you know how banks make money and how when they pay you interest, it means they're charging someone else more than that amount of interest uh, in a loan and they're making the money in the VIG and this is how checks work, and this is how credit cards work, and yes, you have to pay them off. And uh, We went all the way through that up to the point that we were able to teach our staff fully about open book management. So we were able to explain to them everything that we could about our numbers. We did almost perfect open book. We didn't line item everyone's salary. We just kind of black boxed that piece. Uh, but we got to the point that they could pretty intelligently look at our company financials on a month-to-month basis and people who weren't trained at all in this but still you know, were intelligent could look and say, boy, it looks like our pipeline's pretty strong this month. Even though you know, the sales didn't convert, it still looks like they're going to come through next month. So let's not worry too much about you know, the month of June because July looks really strong. Um, and I found that even um, the, the biggest fears that I had about people being concerned about having that kind of information, you could fix by just teaching them what that information meant. Um, and the same way that you know you can scare people by not giving them enough, you can also solve that problem by giving them as much as possible. So when we went through the financial crisis in 08-09, uh, my staff was pretty well comfortable with that, and they knew what we were looking at. Um, and when I asked them to give us more time and put more time in and why we weren't going to do layoffs because I felt comfortable if they could give us a little bit more time every day uh, of work, they were quite happy doing it. So it made the communication much easier for them. I think it brought up their morale. Most of them were able to get out of credit card debt, um, and they saw the benefits of that. They were able to start putting more money in their 401K, and even though net-net that cost me each month, 
um, it was still great to be able to see them building something for their future. Um, and so that, you know, they don't have debt collectors calling them. They're making more uh, money each day because they're basically making better financial choices. So it made recruiting easier because they told their friends about us. And we kind of got known here in Austin as a company that was very good to their employees. Um, then also, once they understood money better, they made better company-wide decisions. So oddly enough, people stopped using the color printer to do black and white printing. Um, and we saved a whole lot of money on toner. Um, things like that that were much better choices. We got a soda stream instead of using the, um, uh, uh, the you know, Pellegrino water uh, around the office. Simple things that they were able to see and they were able to feel like they were making a difference uh, made it a lot easier for me to make more money in the back end. That, that's, that's, that is really interesting. We, we've uh, interviewed a, uh, a wonderful entrepreneur that started a, a betterbookclub.com and, and he, he was trying to educate his employees about different uh, business models and different entrepreneurial efforts and this is substantially similar to that in my mind, obviously very focused on uh, finance which is educating your employees to be smarter about their life and they start applying it to the business and, and making things a lot better. So, this, so um, what what where do you? I mean, you you're teaching these employees. You teach them the basics, and does it start to level off, or do they continue on and uh, try to take it to a new level? I mean, is there like that next iteration, that next tier of things that you're trying to teach your employees to to help them continue to improve, or does it ever stop? I guess is the ultimate question. Well, luckily, um, there, there's always room for more knowledge, right? I mean, I've had a couple people go out and start out on their own and, and start new businesses and um, not really compete with a company, but they basically were able to go out and, and uh, create their own new businesses around their areas of expertise. And I love doing that. I mean, to be able to encourage entrepreneurship and get people to go out and start their own businesses was something that I was more than proud to do. So I'd spend some time mentoring them with the business side of things and how to how the startup process works and some of those pieces. That was a whole lot of fun for me. Um, but luckily, as you bring in new people, too, you end up finding new people who have a, that need as well. So you can kind of continue to get refresher courses. Strangely enough, not everybody wants to get fiscally uh, disciplined the first time they hear the speech. So sometimes hearing it the second or third time may help. Um, so... Well, yeah, no, I and and I see that, but you know, also when I gone to your website, I saw that you know you have a series of books that you've written. You know, a lot of them, you know, kind of, well, not all of them, but some of them talking about the same concept, targeted towards you know different groups. You're obviously talking about employees here, but you've also ta- shared you know some of the same things with for children. So, how are you? Sp- your time in kind of developing this whole concept around financial responsibility and financial management? It's a great question. I think the biggest fear that I've got is that we continue to make bad choices. And I just have to turn on the news any given day and you find out that a place like Greece has 61% of their population decide they don't really care about fiscal discipline. Um, (laughs) And, you know, frankly, I'm not really too comfortable knowing what the American vote would be if we had that same exact vote here in America. We can make fun of Greece all we want, but I'm a little bit worried about what that might come out to. Um, but it, it's not being taught anymore. The, the era of home ec classes and the era of people being taught by their Depression-era parents and grandparents just isn't really that common anymore. Um, so in every light that I've got, I think that parents need to teach their kids. I think employers need to teach their employees. 
And the reality is not everybody knows, and that's quite all right. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I don't know, and I'm more than happy to go to school and learn more about it. And that can be an online class. It can be sitting down with someone who's an expert in the field. Um, as I've entered the food space, there's so much I don't know. Um, and food-based accounting is actually very different than book-based accounting or any of the stuff I've done before. Um, so I want to make myself a student of the game and learn as much as I can. And once I do, I want to teach everybody else that needs to know that information as well. Um, I think financial education ends up being this kind of not-to-be-discussed term because it might be offensive, kind of like sex or religion, um, and yet it's the lifeblood of business. And so if you take any core element of your business and you don't talk about it because you might offend somebody, you're going to relegate yourself to, at best, mediocrity. Whereas if you actually own it, get up in front of it and talk about it and answer questions and you know, sometimes your employees are going to ask really hard questions like, why, sir, are you, you know, driving around in a Bentley when you tell us you don't have enough money to pay bonuses this year? That's a pretty tough question, but guess what? You should probably have somebody ask that question. Um, and, and there's a, a number of times that you can actually benefit from your employees bringing that information to you. If you weren't able to see that one example, uh, you might not be CEO material, but um, <laughs> there's certainly times that that you can get that kind of extra insight from someone who sees it all the time. So it, for me, it was a matter of taking some of the pressure off my back. Um, the more that everybody else knows, the less I have to know. I don't want to have to be the wizard pulling all the levers. I want to be able to surround myself with really smart people who can be mini-me's and make also good decisions without me having to be there. Um, that was kind of the fun for me was to get to the point that I could take time off. It took a long time before I was, but once I did, um, I was able to trust my staff to make better decisions. I didn't need to mother hen every little choice, and I was going to give them a chance to be able to make good choices on their own, uh, and, and I, in many cases, way better than I could have made on my own. Do you find that people, at least initially, are uh, uh, slow to admit that they don't know the things that they ought to know, and so it's it's difficult to get them started, or is or, or were they immediately engaged in trying to learn financial management? Oh, yeah, actually, it was incredibly difficult to get them to do it. So I would ask people questions and say, so, you know, who knows what a CDO is? And most hands would go up. Um, and then I asked someone to describe it, and they were like, well, I mean, I don't know it that well. And I realized, okay, well, let's, maybe collateralized debt obligations are a little bit too complicated. Let's take a step back. And it got to the point that I said, fine, I'm just going to assume that everybody doesn't know anything, and we're going to start as low level as possible. And if you know it, shut up and listen. And if you don't know it, enjoy it. And it'll do you some good to kind of be able to add value to it. So uh, my CFO was, I'd say, better versed than I. And he was able to pipe in a lot of times and kind of help expand on something or make something more clear than I was. Um, and as we did it, we found that people weren't necessarily willing to admit they didn't know it. Um, and I think that's really the, the crux of it, right? So parents aren't willing to teach their kids about money because they don't know it. And they don't want to expose something they don't know. My, my kids cannot speak Mandarin because guess what? My wife and I don't speak Mandarin. Um, right. And I don't try and teach that to them because I realize I'm pretty ignorant. Um, but I will try and teach them things, and if I don't know it, I'll try and go out and learn it. So if I can't do it myself, I'll bring in experts to try and help them do it as well. So if a business owner is listening to the show, they say, you know what, I love what Clint has done with his business, and I want to implement this in my own organization, how, how do they go about doing that? What, what were the things that you thought were most effective in in educating your employee base about financial management? The best part that I saw was the basic level course and saying, 
you know, we talk about a lot of different things. Let's go back to your personal finances and try and make money as personal and as simple as I can. So when I made it about them as opposed to about me, and and in the end, really, I got a huge benefit from it. My bottom line saw huge benefits to it. Um, I saw a lower turnover number. I saw a happier recruiting number. Um, But in the end, I made it about them first, and that was the best solution. So I made it as simple as I could for them. If you're a money manager and all your staff have already passed their Series 7 and their CFA exams, they probably don't need the basic level approach. But go to every single person you've got. My editors really didn't need to know that much about high-level finance, uh, but I still wanted to make sure they knew it. So if you've got lower-level hourly employees and you can still teach them about it, you'll find great new benefits. So my, my best advice would be to start little and start small and start with everybody. And then the, the group that's most interested in that will usually help you grow your business a whole lot faster than uh, those who are not. Are there uh, things that uh, a business owner should get? Uh, are there materials, books? Um, you know, uh, you know, should they should they have something prepared to hand out? Uh, and the second question is, where where should they start? I mean, it's a huge it's a huge topic. Sure, sure. Um, I've got a rough syllabus that I can uh, email out to anybody. I can probably give it to you guys to put up on your website if you'd like um, as just a starting point, and feel free to add and, and pull from that. Um, and again, if you're as a business owner, if you're not comfortable teaching this, that's okay. You can still bring somebody in to do that. Um, there are experts you can bring in. You can probably hire your accountant or your financial advisor to do it. Some of them will do it at no cost. They may try and get your business for your 401k. Your, your third-party administrator may want to do that for you. Uh, but there are people who have this data, and it's not that hard to share. Uh, one really important piece, I do have some friends who are business owners who like to give me that BS line which says, oh, I, I don't need to worry about money. I've got a CFO. Um, sorry. If you're the owner of the business and if you're the CEO, you need to know about money. There's no excuse for not knowing about it because you're on the hook if anything goes wrong with it, and you sure as heck better get smart about it. Um, and same thing goes for your staff. I mean, if, if they're working in a business and you have a profit motive or if you're a nonprofit, you still have money as the lifeblood of your business. So getting smart on it will allow you to get through the tougher times and have a whole lot more growth during the good times. That, that is exactly right. I think that was a, a lot of great stuff uh, there. Uh, I was also thinking you might pitch one of your books there, Clint. <laughs> like, uh, although they're not for your employees, but like Beyond the Piggy Bank, I think is uh, is a great book. Uh, and as I had, uh, folks don't know, uh, Clint had a uh, uh, gave a lecture to uh, the students at uh, his alma mater and my son's high school, and it went over extremely well to keep a bunch of kind of you know 15 to 18 year olds engaged in financial management. You've got to have real presence on stage, and Clint did a wonderful job. And I would recommend people go to clintgreenleaf.com and uh, uh, look at his website, and uh, there's opportunities to have Clint come in and speak and uh, at seminars. He's obviously, as I pointed out in the first segment, been in uh, – he's a very sought-after speaker, I'll just say that, and we're happy to have him on our show. Um, Clint, thank you so much for being on the second stage. We've got to cut out here for a break. Uh, when we come back, uh, I will share some concluding thoughts about today's topic. Thanks for tuning in to the second stage.
We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of. A team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance. Tax. Consulting. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to The Second Stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Welcome back to the show, The Second Stage. This is Jeff Cadlick. My partner, Brendan Anderson, is out today. Uh, the second stage is a show about small business best practices, and we hear this continual theme with a lot of our guests that are highly successful uh, entrepreneurs and professionals about investing in the people that you work with every day. Uh, I think what, uh, at a very, very base level, Clint took the time to educate as best he could the people within his organization to not only benefit them outside the organization, which I think was his original intent, but he realized subsequent to that, that his own business benefited as these folks became more financially sophisticated, financially savvy, and were able to apply what they were applying to their own lives, you know, to their own organization. So once again, you've got a successful business owner, entrepreneur that took it upon him or herself to make other people around him better and was rewarded for that uh, through loyalty, through Operation efficiencies through, um, you know, just better decision making and transparency amongst uh, his employees. He also mentioned the term open book management. Uh, Brennan and I have uh, often advocated the book, The Great Game of Business by Jack Stack, and a nod goes to our friend Bo Burlingham uh, participating in that effort. But open book management. Uh, goes to transparency, which is one of evolution's uh, five pillars of business success uh, and is an important concept in scaling your business because it allows other people to be decision makers and not only just decision makers, but good decision makers. I want to circle back to some of the other important things that Clint had mentioned, uh, which is assume that your employees don't know anything and start from the very basics so that everybody uh, can participate and not feel embarrassed that they're supposed to know something and don't um, keep it simple you know cater to the audience uh, and try to gauge uh, what people know um, 
and uh, he had offered, which I think is really generous of Clint, to allow us to upload uh, on our website his syllabus. So please look for that uh, in the future, and please download it, uh, and certainly give uh, Clint credit for it. Uh, but use that to uh, improve not only your your employee situation and those that you work with every day, but also ultimately. I think Clint has shared with us, you'll find that you'll reap benefits within your own organization. Um, I'm sitting here on Clint's website. Um, it's a uh, it's a real great resource for entrepreneurs. He's got several books on here. I had mentioned on the show, the last segment, Beyond the Piggy Bank, which is a book, uh, Customizing Roadmap for Teaching Financial Wisdom to Your Children. But he talks about other things uh, on here. There's some are catered to the business world, uh, and some are catered to 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 children. But hopefully, you'll take away from this show some actionable advice, uh, and make sure you follow uh, this show hashtag the second stage. That's T H E two N D stage, uh, and also follow our our guest. Uh, Clint Greenleaf at Clint Greenleaf and go to his website clintgreenleaf.com. Thank you for tuning in to Second Stage and think about where the way your business can be and not how it is today. Have passion for possibilities. Thank you for tuning in this week to the Second Stage. Please join Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson again next Monday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And have a successful week. We'll be right back.